0: But when he, when he comes, he comes, and we don't try to control that. We don't try to manipulate that, be over, overly emotional about any of that. Uh, we just allow the space to be filled. If God so chooses to come, then he comes. Uh, man, I don't, I don't know. I was going to start off with a joke, and mainly it wasn't my joke. It was actually something I heard. I don't know if any of you got to watch uh, uh, Nancy Reagan's uh, funeral. Uh, but, man, I couldn't believe they televised it. I can't remember the last time I saw a president's wife funeral that was televised. And uh, she told a great story. I don't know if, you many, if, if many of you uh, uh, were, were a big Reagan fans, so to speak, but uh, he was a great man and, and a great president. And uh, um, one of the stories that, his, uh, that uh, Nancy's daughter had to tell was how Nancy had told her a story, uh, that every, uh, I think it was like every Tuesday, a guy came in. He said a really big, strong, like Samoan-looking kind of guy would come in and the president would get a massage like every Tuesday afternoon, like that would just, it's going to happen. And so it says one day she snuck in, you heard, you heard this story, right? She snuck in and, 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 and like while he wasn't, you know, his face is straight down in the massage uh, uh, table or whatever it is. And she sneaks in and kisses him on the back of the neck and then sneaks back out before he can. And, it, and he just sits there and he doesn't do anything, right? And he just like, the hour goes on and the guy comes back and he just finishes massaging and everything, right? And, uh, and it was a little while later that, that uh, uh, Ronald comes up to Nancy and he goes, I think we're going to have to get rid of that guy. And she's like, well, what happened? I'm like, he just kissed me on the back of the neck. And I, just, I, I didn't know what to do. I just kind of just sat still I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she tells him, hey, this is what happened. He goes, oh, I'm glad you told me because, man, I just didn't know what to think. <laughs> he said, I was mortified sitting there on the table. Here's this guy kissing me. <laughs> I mean, oh, man, oh. That made my day when I saw that. I was like, you know, uh, the other thing I thought was great about her life, you know, we look at people, and when they pass, we look at legacies and stuff, and I thought it was great that the, there was a ton of people from the press corps that spoke on her behalf. Listen, it's hard to get the press to speak nice about you, much less speak at your funeral. You know, that said a lot about her character and things like that, so I, I thought I'd bring that up this morning. I thought it was a cute story. Uh, just, just uh, uh, I, there's nothing greater than watching a funeral that's funny. I'm telling you, where people can look back at your life and there's just a lot of humor in it, you know? Um, And so, man, it's so good. It's so good. That was some some good insight into stuff. Well, hey, this is our last uh, series on on 1 Peter. It's fitting that we'll be talking about some some, some different things uh, because Peter kind of ends this whole series talking about suffering. Talks about uh, uh, persecution, suffering, and some other things. Uh, Peter's life has been one that's full of ups and downs. It's riddled with mountaintop experiences. Uh, but he's also has some shadow of death valleys. Uh, He's made good decisions and he's made bad decisions, right? I'm not talking about you this morning, I'm talking about Peter. Uh, He is in constant reminder that God came to save people exactly like us, right? And let me just share with you a little bit of Peter's life. So Luke records uh, that Peter first met Jesus on a bad fishing day. He'd been out fishing all day. He was actually fishing all the way into the night. He comes back in, and he's got nothing. And this is like pro-fishing. This is what he does for a living. Jesus walks by, the carpenter's son, by the way. Hey, you ought to go back out and cast your net over there. And I don't know about you. I'm just going to tell you in my human side, i would be like, you ought to keep your mouth shut. I've been out there fishing all day. I'm tired, sunburned, my lips are chapped. I mean, I smell like fish. I'm just saying. If I'm being honest, right, I'm going to listen to the guy who's never been fishing. I mean, I don't know this guy from anywhere. Oh, you ought to go back out. Uh-huh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to row myself out against the current out there and get out there and fish after I've been doing it all day. But what does he do? He goes out there. We know the story, right? He casts the nets over and he catches all the fish, right? I mean, we know, we know some of this story, right? And then it was sometime later, Peter has the revelation. Who, is, who do people say that I am, right? He's walked with Jesus for a while. Uh, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Moses. Some, some say you're John the Baptist, which is weird because they existed at the same time. Like, I know we're into sci-fi here these days, but that's not going to happen, okay? Um, But he says, no, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. And he's like, blessed are you, Simon. And Peter's like, yes, blessed is me. He doesn't say that really. About a week later, Peter's taken up on the top of a mountaintop to pray with Jesus. There he sees Jesus transformed before his eyes, and he hears the voice of God to confirm what he already knew, right? Behold, this is my son. Right? Huge moment, transformation moment. Sees Moses, sees Elijah, right? Now it's obvious that it wasn't Moses or Elijah before when they were like some say it. Yeah, it's obvious now. God confirms it. Peter says, you know what? Let's just live up here. We don't even got to go back down. Let's just build shelters up on top of the hill. We'll stay up here. We'll live up here. God can talk to us through Jesus and we'll just live in this, man. We'll build tabernacles, we'll have church, we'll have it be great, right? That's a whole nother message, right? But the gospel can't sit there. <laughs> it's not meant to sit on top of the mountain. It was meant to go back down into the valleys. And so like, they're like, Peter, that's not a good idea. We got to go. Matter of fact, God confirms it by sending a cloud and terrifies them off the mountain. Go back and read the story. It says sends a frightening cloud to come in and scare them back off. Otherwise, they'd stay there, right? I mean, Peter was talking about setting up homes. We got to. found I mean, he's like pulling out the measuring tape. Let's get this thing done. Right? So Peter has another miracle moment. Most of you know this story, right? Where he walks on the water. I mean, literally like he's walking on the waves. Very cool moment. And just when he thinks, man, I got this. This is doing really good. Wait a minute. I don't got this. I don't got this. Jesus, Jesus, help me. Right? Which is how, that's like us, our whole life right? That's like uh, watching kids when they first start to walk. They take those first couple steps. They're like, I'm getting this. I don't got this. I don't got this. I'm going down, right? And they start to like, they're grabbing on anything. Like, I mean, just, I've noticed to just go, they'll go, babies will grab, they'll go from one thing and they see nothing. then they go from the other thing and the next thing, right? They're just grabbing on to every little thing. And that's Peter in this moment. He's a grown man. who's walking on the waves. I can't do this anymore. Right? Jesus like, look at me, right? Look at me. Peter also partakes in a single fishing trip at the request of Jesus. Hey, we've got a problem. We need to pay the tax, taxes. taxes. Do Peter, I want you to go fishing. All right? You're going to catch a fish. There's going to be a coin in his mouth. You're going to be able to pay tax with it. By the way, I just couldn't help but think, wouldn't that be awesome today? Jesus comes down and tells you, guys, I need you to do some fishing. Taxes got to get paid for. I mean, like, when, can you imagine your wives coming to you? Taxes are due right now. Getting your fishing gear. Oh, it's going to be awesome, right? That'd be like a monthly fishing trip for everybody, man. We would all be out there. I couldn't think, man, that is awesome. All of us would be lake folk. we just hang around the lake all the time, man, just try to fish for every little thing we could get. <clears throat> and then there's Peter in the upper room. He's confused about the end that is approaching, right? Jesus, uh, if you look through the book of Matthew, look through Luke, like in every chapter, Jesus, when they start to get close, Jesus starts saying, son of man's going to die. It's going to be like three days in Jonah. I mean, he starts dropping hints like crazy. I mean, he's like preparing them left and right. He starts dropping hints. And it's, and it's funny when you read it because I know all of you have got a Bible where it's probably like uh, paragraphed in. And it's weird. It's like the parable of this, the parable of this. Jesus talks about the end. And it's like three sentences. And then another big parable. And it's like you split the pages. Parable, parable. Jesus talks about death. And then parable, parable. It's like you start flipping the pages and looking at it. And it's like he's just dropping hints, man, dropping hints constantly. So Peter's confused about this whole end that's approaching, right? And Jesus is trying to tell him how to lead, right? You're going to have to learn. And he's preparing him. He's trying to tell him what leadership is about. And so he gets down on his knees and he starts to wash their feet. And what does Peter say? Uh Uh-uh. No way, God. I love this because in one sense, he's like saying, God, you're too good for that. Mm -hmm. And I love Jesus like, uh-uh, this is what a leader is. A leader is one who serves, and if you think you're too good for it, then you might not be a leader. Right? And so he tells Jesus not just to wash his feet, but after those stern words, he says, man, wash me all over then. Mm -hmm. Show me how to get it done right. Right? And then there's also at the table. Peter sits there and he declares his like you, I will be with you to the end, Jesus. It's you and me, bro. Loyalty, trust, it's you and me, right? Jesus says, no, you will deny me three times for the rooster crows, right? And we know that this event comes to pass, right? Pushing Peter back into an old skin. I thought about this, man. Uh, uh, isn't, it, isn't it funny how that is? This is where I say we relate to Peter a lot. I mean, this is where I'm trying to show you in your life how you relate to Peter, um, He's pushed back into his old skin because all of a sudden that sailor's mouth comes back to him about the third time he has to deny Jesus. Isn't it funny how sometimes in your life you should, you think, man, I bear the cross and man, my sins are gone. And all of a sudden that old man comes up real quick when you get angry. And you find out, man, he ain't all that dead. When we're pushed, when we're angry and confused, we shrink right back into that old self. And we see Peter, after he denies him three times, he finds himself right back just to make sure they're convinced, here's the old man and here's what it looks like. Because after the third time, they are convinced. He doesn't have to deny him again. His character is so out from, from walking with Jesus that they're convinced he's not, he's not one of them anymore. He can't be the, that guy. Lastly, Peter runs to the tomb. He finds it empty. He finally meets Jesus on the shore where Jesus works to Uh, Build his confidence back up after being uh, the whole denial process. He continues to ask Peter if he loves him. Peter keeps telling him, you know I do. Do you love me? You know I do. Do you love me? You know that I do. Right? Then Jesus gives Peter this like small insight. He's like, listen, they're going to stretch you out one day. Right? And he tells him this like insight into how you die, which by the way, I wrote, how many of you would like to know how you die? That's a powerful thing that somebody gives you. Jesus prophesies his death, not like anybody. Jesus prophesies his death right there. And you would think that would be a heavy moment. Just as I say that, some of you are going, man, I wonder. Will it be short? Will it be long? Will it be tragic? Right? I mean, that's you think about that, right? But I love Peter because maybe this is like it's like, yeah, what about John? Like that was his reaction. Not about me, like, okay, I'm gonna be stretched out. Like he didn't. He said, what about John? Wait a minute, if I'm getting all that bad, what about that guy? Is he getting it better than me? Is it going to be worse? And like, even even in the moment where Jesus is getting him to say, I love you, even in that moment, he can't even be where he's at. Can't even be in the present to really see what Jesus is doing in that moment. He's still worried about other people. He's still jealous of John, which I don't know why. It's a surreal moment. Jesus replies, don't worry about John. Worry about Peter. Quit worrying about other people. Worry about yourself. Quit worrying about what everybody else is going to happen to him. Worry about what's going to happen to you. Focus on that part of it. John's life will take care of John's life. Peter's life needs to take care of Peter's life. Worry about Peter. Right? And then Jesus ascends. He leaves. I love it because it's like in that whole scene, I always call it Jesus like the first astronaut. and He didn't even need a suit. He just goes right up. And uh, it's a very different moment. They still, like, the whole mountaintop experience happens, right? And Peter's still standing there. And I always loved it because God sent angels. Uh, you got to leave. He's not coming back. That's it. He'll come back. When he comes back again, it'll be in all the glory. I mean, they like to tell him, go. Right? They have a trouble with that, by the way. They have trouble moving on. Okay? Acts 2 comes. They've been in the upper room praying the whole time. Right? Fire falls down. And Peter preaches revival, right? This is the crescendo of his life. Or is it? I don't know. The funny thing about life is I think we kind of look to that. I think we'll look at Acts 2 and go, look at Peter who dropped the bombshell of the Holy Spirit down. First of all, God dropped the Holy Spirit down. Peter just used his voice to tell them why and what was happening. That's all. He was actually explaining more than preaching in revival. It'd be be like revival happened, and let me explain to you why. Why? That is really what happened with Peter. Let me explain to you why and what is actually happening. Why this thing that you think is weird and all these tongue stuff is flying out. It's the flames of fire upon him. Let me explain to you what's going on. This is what was prophesied. He begins to explain this through the Old Testament. Right? In language they would know. And it's crazy. And we think this would be the moment. Like no more. Peter's got it now. Right? He's finally thinking about Peter. He's finally concentrating on just becoming Christ and sharing the love of God. Right? Grace and pushing it out because we've seen the wreck of his life through the Gospels, right? So surely he's not going to make any more mistakes, right? Because he's seen salvation. He has salvation now in him, right? And so surely his life, once he's received Christ, is going to be perfect, right? Let's just keep reading. Peter is actually thrown in jail not long afterwards for preaching the Gospel, him and John. And God rescues him through a mighty earthquake. That's a good moment in ministry, all right? Most of us don't like preachers that go to jail. But back in the Old Testament, that was a good thing. Or, I mean, New Testament, that was a good thing. Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. Well, he's not perfect yet, is he? But Jesus comes to him in a dream and tells him to convert the first Gentile that will approach his door. He doesn't want to have anything to do with some people. I think some of us are that way. We got people in our life we don't want to have anything to do with. It's funny what sends, shows up at our door sometimes, man. And you know what? Jesus sends them. Jesus, I'm telling you more than anything else. Jesus tells us to love people that sometimes are so hard to love. And you got to remember the Gentiles, the Romans, they put them under entire oppression. That, I mean, they, that, you got to think they were slaving out their daughters, slaving out their sons. They were killing their, killing these people. Man, these guys, they, they didn't like them. They saw this as a bad thing. So Peter does this right because he's not going to say no to Jesus. This Gentile comes to the door. He's heard about the man. He, receives the Holy Spirit, right? So Peter begins championing the idea of evangelizing to the Gentiles, but secretly he's still struggling to like them. You don't see that really show up. I mean, they don't talk about that until you actually get into the Paul, right? Some of you know the story already, right? Because he won't sit with them because they're unclean. What? Oh, but they're good enough to come to my house and get saved. But well, I'm not hanging out with them. Man, that sounds like church today. He considers them. So Paul basically rebukes him. Check this out. This is an irony in life. Paul rebukes him for being more about law than grace. Wait a minute. What? The Pharisee rebukes the guy who's all about grace for not being graceful enough. That's crazy talk. Right? The guy who was the Pharisee, the Pharisee amongst Pharisees, is the guy that's got to teach Peter about grace. And this is Peter's life. Right? This is, this is what leads us up to these, these letters. So we read these letters, man, and, and, the, and the idea is that Peter is not like us. The idea is that, well, these were people a long time ago, as if they're different, as if they were like people are necessarily so much different from back then as they are now, as if culture, well, we got cell phones today. That don't make you smarter. That don't make you treat people better. None of that does. The, fun, the irony of our life is with all our intelligence, with everything we have, and everything we have coming in the future, and all this stuff that we have that are byproducts of our intelligence, we're not a single bit closer today than they were back then. It's sad, actually. And, and this is Peter's life on full display. And if you're honest, this is your life, too. You've got ups and downs, you have seasons where you are the awesomest thing on the earth. And you have seasons where you are the lowest thing on the earth. If you're honest, that's the truth. And you know those times. I don't even have to remind you. Like you already, you like memorize. You gotta like by your memory. You know what you don't have in your brain? You do not store mediocre. You basically use your brain storage as a place to remember your best moments and your worst. Your highs and your lows. And your whole life is defined by them. It's not perfect. But that's the whole point here. We see God at a constant rescue position with Peter, walking with Peter, correcting Peter, and sending people that will challenge his thoughts, his decisions, his practices, his traditions. And this is why when we read his letters, they start to make sense to us. Because Peter is a person just like us, shaped from his experiences with Christ. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. It says dear friends don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through that's just something strange were happening to you instead be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you if you suffer however it must not be for murder stealing making trouble or prying into other people's affairs but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian Praise God for the privilege of being called by his, by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Listen. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to, us, to, to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Peter begins by saying, don't be surprised. Ain't that the truth? Man, this is life. (laughs) You're going to experience things that are absolutely fair and unfair. You're going to experience joy, peace, love, grace. And you're also going to experience tragedy, pain, suffering. Peter's saying that in these moments of our life, we have the ability to be joyful because the glory of Christ is revealed to all the world in those moments. It's not... it's not when we suffer that produces this. It's how we suffer. When everyone can see us fall on our knees in humility, regardless of how easy or hard life can be, it's then that the whole world sees the glory of God. They witness it through us. On the contrary, when we hide our failures, we also inadvertently hide the glory of God before the world, which explains why a lot of people struggle with evangelism. Why do I want to come to church like that? I'll never be that perfect. Why do I want to go to a church where everybody seems so good and everybody's saying, I just feel so, man, it's all a lie. The problem is that over the years we've gotten to this place where we we present a better, we present what you think it needs to look like rather than what it really is. Like we're supposed to be perpetually happy. I've yet to meet anybody that's just happy every day. And matter of fact, when I do, I never trust them. Do you? I mean, seriously, how do you go by happy every day? Half of you are angry just because of spring forward. Come on, be honest. (laughs) Me too. You Wake up tired, mad, mean. Like I had a bad day, what happened? Nothing, just a bad day. Mm -hmm. And I love Peter's perspective. He says, if the righteous are barely saved then what what will happen to godless sinners? First of all, Peter's perspective right here is this. If the righteous are barely saved, that means after everything Peter's been through, the awe and wonder that is the grace of Christ, which is something to behold, even even the saved, even Peter says, man, I was there and I still struggle. Like I saw Jesus. There's no faith for I saw him. I was in the three-year seminary with Jesus Christ as the professor and I still don't believe that he was actually there. I still struggle to believe he's God. I still struggle to do what's right. Like I denied him three times, he totally forgave me in my face, and I'm still worried about what's happening to somebody else. That person's in every church, by the way. Even the saved have a hard time believing it to be true, that God's grace is that great, that God's forgiveness is that great. So we always fall away. We think, well, we better leave since we're not good. Are you kidding me? The sick go to the hospital, not leave it. Well, I'm too sick. The hospital probably doesn't want me. Are you kidding me? There's all kinds of I've said it before when we kind of first started this thing. There's all kinds of people in the hospital. Depending on what, what uh, floor you're on, there's people in the emergency room most definitely that come in and they, need, or they are in desperate and dire need of help. There's people in the infant ward because newborns are being made all the time. Right? There's the ICU unit. Or somebody who's grown up for a little while, but they've got a little bit of problems in their life, and they just need a little bit of help, right? It's almost an emergency crisis, but not quite yet the emergency status. And so they're trying to get the help they need so they can get out of there, right? And then there's people that are just, that are just there for the next few days so they can heal up, right? And visitors come by all the time, and they fill the hallways, and they fill the places, and there's somebody there to feed them and take care of them. Man, if that ain't church, I don't know what is. Well, wait a minute. People die there, too. Uh huh. There's a lot of dead people walking in church, too. Man, if Peter, after three years of being with Christ, still says, Man, I'm barely saved. (laughs) How humble is that? (laughs) I mean, if that's his comment, listen, how can the righteous who feel like they're barely saved? It's hard to imagine. Do you struggle with that? Believing in the God that, in quoting Peter, created you and that will never fail you, right? Do you struggle believing him when he says that you're forgiven? Yeah, why? Because you don't forgive very good. And so you place the way you are on Christ. And then you become convicted, right? Because you expect God to be just like you, right? You start to make God in your own image rather than God being who he is, right? God is the God who forgives, who gives grace, who says, how many chances can I have? 70 times 7. So it's, uh, I love my 7th graders. They actually count it. They're like, oh, it's this many times. That's how many times you forgive. No, you're missing the point. And I think that's how Jesus was. I think how, that's, that's really how Jesus was. They were missing the point, you know. They were, they were probably counting the numbers too. Because that's how we are, man. We struggle there. Peter says, let these things humble you. And then he reminds us in the next chapter, in chapter 5, 6 to 11, he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family, listen, remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Man, you're still carrying around shame and guilt for past things. Why? It's time to move on. It's time to move on. Be done. God forgives you. Move on. And that doesn't mean look at someone else, at least feel better, make yourself feel better by looking at, well, at least I'm better than them. That's what we do. It's like our default for some reason. We like it. We love the compare game. Well, I'm better than they are pretty good I guess I don't know I don't know why we do that but we got to quit looking at everything and everyone else and start to look at Christ we need to feel the conviction of his love and grace right we need to look at the cross and begin to feel the freedom that was actually purchased for you man walk in that walk in that well but I'm struggling I've done things that I've okay so come to the Lord and say Lord forgive me and then begin to walk right try again It's okay, right? Don't make yourself become palsy. Don't give up. Do not quit. Keep trying and trying. Peter reminds us we are not in it alone. Church, this is where you come in. This is where the author of Hebrews pressed in the idea, don't forsake the assembling of each other. This is why we come together, right? Right? It's not so we can sing for 20 minutes and we basically sing to you, look at us, dance on the stage, do the stuff. It's not so I can just yell at you for 20 in a preaching sermon. Truthfully, we come together to help each other. To help each other grow. To help each other get through seasons. To help each other get through the good times. To share in your good times, man. One of the best things about when I was doing youth ministry is I watched all these kids go from like 6th grade to 12th then I get to watch him graduate. I mean, I've known Tyler for so long. I mean, just, I'm just using it because you're in here, bro. All right. I've known him since he was in sixth grade, right? He's in college now. But I'm telling you, he's changed a lot since sixth grade. He really has, like a lot. (laughs) And, And I see every one of these kids just grow up. And guess what? I get to be there. I get to see their moments. I get to share in that with their parents, right? These are wonderful moments. You know, if you've had a kid graduate, like, you know, yeah, right when when they when they've had a great accomplishment and they're being awarded something and you go to that as a family and right why do you go because you want to be there when it's somebody else's wonderful moment and listen that wasn't just God gave us families so that we could see what that's like like but you got to know that a family is the shadow of the church and it's a shadow of what God's going to do in heaven it's just a shadow oh it's good but it can be great right. And the church allows your family to really grow. That family cell that wants to come be a part of your graduations, your birthdays, watching your kids grow up, being a part of your life. That's what the church was meant to be. Now, I know what we've made it. And I know a lot of people would love to complain about that's why they don't go because we've made it this and we've made it that, and there's nowhere in the Bible that says this and that. I know, I know, I know. But it doesn't mean we stop trying, it doesn't mean it stops. Now, we always say that this is probably the most traditional service you're going to see here at Mosaic. On Sundays, I think my wife and I, we're starting to, I think we're going to call it Wednesdays. We're going to start calling Wednesdays the cave because that's really what it is, man. Just anybody who wants to come, come hang out at the, with a cave comes from the idea of the cave of Abdullah. God, send us the bunch of the, get, send us all the heathens. Send us all the Gentiles. You know, the ones that Peter don't like. Send us all of those. Uh, send us all the, uh, uh, you know, the, the ragamuffins. Send us the... Uh, 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 all the sinners, God, just send them and let us be family. Let us show you what Christ is like. You know, one of the things we said about Wednesday is we won't go to a traditional entire Wednesday where we do something like this. Wednesday will always be a fellowship dinner and a 20-minute little Bible study. And it won't be, it won't be, won't be, one won't be, won't be, won't be, should be a discussion. And often, anybody can break in at any moment and talk. Now, it is let, we do, I do lead it. But truthfully, the best ministry happens when we're all he- eating. We jump from table to table. We ask each other how our days went. We share one another's burdens. We enjoy the company of each other. We ask about each other's kids. We see how we're all doing. And truthfully, you know, when we've talked in the past about creating membership for the church and things like that, we wanted to make, at least in my heart, I'm wanting to make Wednesday almost a priority. Like if you're part of the membership here, man, coming on a Wednesday is a big deal. Because Wednesday is truthfully when we become family. And this isn't a church for families. This church, when you become to this church, you are family. You become part of one family. And I'm not trying to rag on a church that says, hey, we're a church for families. I know what they mean. What I'm saying is this. When you come here, you you partake in something bigger than just yourself. Bigger than that. You become part of us. And It's not a me mentality, Pastor Jim mentality. It's not a Mosaic mentality. Oh, you're part of Mosaic. No, 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 no. You become part of the kingdom. And we're going to think bigger than just us. And that's why we work with other churches. That's why we're going to continue to build bridges and break denominational barriers and keep doing these things. Listen, I know that there are some that leadership will change. And sometimes we'll get leaders that will come in that probably won't even have anything to do with this stuff. But that's okay. Our, Our job is just to be Christ. Not to worry about what somebody else is doing, right? Just learned about that. God is calling you back to himself. Not back to church, not back to service. He's calling you back to himself. Galatians 6, 1 through 3, and I'll start to close with this. He said, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, listen, this is where the church is, guys. You who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path. That doesn't mean you point your finger. That doesn't mean you gossip behind their back. That doesn't mean you condemn them or try to convict them yourself, right? You don't get to play the judge. Right? you got your own life to worry about, Peter. Go worry about you. But you can tell them this. Have I experienced, see, and this is why we live our life openly, mosaic the whole idea, the whole concept, this broken idea, right? That I am broken before the Lord. I'm transparent about my brokenness. I am like Peter. My life is like Peter. I make dumb decisions all the time. I forget things all the time. Uh, I forgot my mom's birthday. She posted on Facebook the other day this thing about how kids can hurt their parents and all this stuff. And I was like, I get on my phone. I call my mom. I'm telling you, I am fallible. I'm still learning to be a good son. Amen. I don't, I don't it's funny and it's not funny, right? It hurt my mom's feelings. Yeah, but I, you know why I tell you? Because I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. And I want you to see the glory of God that God can love me in my imperfection. That in my imperfection, God has put me in a place where I can speak to you and share with you, and help you, and be there for you in your moments, right, he's given me the heart to do that, because that wasn't always there, guys, That wasn't always there, so I share in my brokenness with you, I share it with you, so you can see the glory of God, and how he works, that even in this broken vessel who makes mistakes, and who forgets things that should be highly important, Right, that God forgives me and that he's working it out through me. And he, Every day, I, get, I draw closer to the Lord. Every day, I'm trying harder and harder. And when I fail, I get back up. God forgives me and says, get back up, son. Let's go try it again. There is never a time where God says, well, I don't know this time. No. You have never met Jesus that way. Nobody. Nobody. This is a picture of the church. It's not a job or a weekend endeavor. It was a picture of godly friendships. He says, be careful not to fall into the same temptations yourself, sharing each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. Paul says, you're not that important. Mm. This is it. It's messed up, isn't it? Bunch of broken people. God loves you. Just like you are. He's called us. All of this gets messed up because your life is messed up. (laughs) We act like it isn't. I don't know why that church is just so bad. Because people are in it. That's why. Well, but that church is pretty rotten. Guess what kind of people they got? Rotten people. Guess what kind of people you are gossiping about it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can celebrate the grace of God by forgiving sinners, Right? Uh, uh, which you all were one. God has called us not to come back to church. He's called us to return to him. That's where we get messed up. Well, I'm feeling conviction in my life. Maybe I should go back to church. No, no, no. Go back to God. If you find him at that church, great. That's great. But truthfully, you don't need to come back to church. You need to go back to Jesus. The church can't heal you. The church is not going to set your life on a better ground. Now, will you find hope at the church? Yeah, because Jesus is there through other believers. But let's not mistake what the church is. The church is the bride, not the husband. Not the king, not the Lord, not the risen Savior. He's the one who can save you. He's the one who can heal you. He's the one who can help you. God has called us to return to himself, to return to Christ. He is the God who says, come to me, and I will in no way cast you out. Come to me. Come to me. You can always return to Jesus. Grace and mercy waits for you. It beckons for you, really. He's calling out to you. Deep cries out to deep. That's what that's about. Deep cries out. He's calling after you, pulling on you to return. And this is what God has called us to here at Mosaic. Most of you know this, man. The whole idea of like how we're we going to advance the gospel. How do we evangelize? We, this has been our whole method of evangelism is this, that we were going to advance the gospel by returning to God. That was our whole idea. Well, how do we, that that sounds weird. That sounds counterintuitive. How do I go out by going back? Easy, because the closer I draw to Christ, right, the more I'll lift him up. When it says I lift him up in my life personally, that all men shall be drawn not to me, but they'll be drawn to Christ. And I truly believe if we'll return to the Lord here, we'll begin to lift him up here that God will bring people in. And it won't happen like, oh, man, people see tea times open. That's not what they're going to say. What they're going to say is, I see Jesus in your life. Something's different. And i tell you what the shocker is. You want me to tell you like the thing that blows people's mind? Wow, you're honest. I ain't, been, I ain't seen any place that's that honest before. That's a problem, guys. That's why you hate church. Half you don't even believe half the stuff that's being said there. Because you don't, you don't see brokenness. You don't see a life. You see a polished thing. You see a polished sermon set. You see a polished preacher, right? And, and here's the problem with some of that, man. When we try to present to you a false image, we, we just, we, like I have saying, we don't bring glory to God. We don't show you how he works in our own personal life. And if you can't see the glory of God, then you won't be attracted to God, right? Because you can put on a false image of yourself. You don't need my help for that. And, and you don't need a better you. You are not a better you. There is no better you. There is Jesus. That's what you need. You need to be Jesus. This world doesn't need a better you. This world needs Jesus. If it just took a better you, we'd already be there. You know how many books are sold for just being a better you? All kinds. Even in the Christian community, there's a bunch that just want to make a better you. Well, if you'll just spend more time looking about you. If you'll spend more time caring about you, that just defeats. Can you imagine Jesus reading a book about that? The man who made his whole career off intercession ministry, praying for others. Who rarely, we ever see like... I mean, of all the commentaries you'll read, I mean, it's a wonder Jesus isn't skin and bones and walking around like a skeleton anyway. Because it sounds like he hardly ever ate by all the times he was fasting. And when he did, he was sure giving it out more than he was eating. We need Jesus. (laughs) That's the return God's talking about. It's the theme of the entire Old Testament. And by the way, it's the theme of the new. Return to God. Nobody says return to the, go back to the church. No, the church was created as a group of people that could help. Maybe if you joined together, you could return to God together. It was a hope that, that through one another, you could join arms and go, I'm going to fall, I, man, I can't, my legs, and go, that's all right, I'm going to carry you for as long as I can. Well, when I get tired, someone else will carry you, right? And in seasons that we struggle, that's what the whole forsake, not the assembly of the other, because other, God will send us people that will bring strength to our lives and through other believers, right? Because the arm is attached, Right? To the shoulder, right? The shoulder to the chest. And these other parts start to come around and start to say, you don't worry about an arm. I know you've been carrying a lot of stuff, but the shoulders are about to bear some of this weight. Your hands are about to come. The fingers are about to come where they hadn't been there before. And you've been just kind of carrying the weight right there. Fingers are about to come. Just wait. Hang on. The season's about to change. And I'm about to bring people who are going to help carry this thing to where it needs to go. Because God never really answers personally, does he? He answers through people. He allows you to see his glory through people. And if you'll just be honest enough with your own life and allow yourself to be vulnerable, I know that's hard because you're worried about being judged, but there's only one person you should worry about judging. you, And he comes to you and he says, come to me. All you who are heavy, come to me. And I'll in no way cast you out. Bear my yoke, for my yoke is easy. I told somebody the other day about one of the, we've been talking about doing a retreat for pastors here for staff pastors and leaders. And and one of the things that I've heard too many preachers say, man, it's it's hard and it's heavy. And man, all I know is after reading Jesus saying my yoke is light, I think you're doing it wrong. Because it ain't supposed to be. You're bearing weight that you were never meant to bear. And that's something's wrong there. It's time for to let Jesus. The Bible says, the parable of the seed and sower, that the guy goes to sleep after work in the field. Guess what? He wakes up the next day and it just grows, doesn't it? He don't have to go out there and pull that thing up from the roots, try to, you know, fake everybody out. Oh, look, there's a little shoot, and then just put a little dirt back around. That's not what he does. It says he goes to sleep. So when he gets up the next day to work the field, he's been rested from all night. Man, there's some pastors out there that need some sleep. They've been working too hard for too long, and you know what? They just need to return to God. Let God have the work of his own hands. Quit thinking you need to hold it. Let's pray. Lord, right now uh, I can feel Your Holy Spirit in this place, God. Lord, I, I know You're doing a ministering work here this morning, uh, Lord. With a, with a, quite a few in here, actually, God. And Lord, I know You want to tell them this morning. You've been carrying the weight for too long. My yoke is easy. Come to me, saith the Lord. And I'll in no way cast you aside. I'll in no way cast you out. God would say, I love you. I have always loved you. Come to me. Come to me. And let go. Move on. Forgive yourselves, love. <laughs> feel, feel my love. He would say. And if that's you this morning, I, I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you this morning, I. You you feel like. Uh, you need that forgiveness this morning. And listen, whether you come up here or whether you stay there, God is not a temperamental. It's not about if I pray with you or anything. God can forgive you right where you sit. So don't think it's a matter of whether I come or whether I sit. Don't be perplexed by those things. But if you want somebody to pray with you this morning, somebody to share your burden, somebody to lift you up when your knees feel weak, if that's you this morning, will you, will you step forward? Maybe it's returning to the Lord yourself. You've been away or you feel like you have. You felt distance, but the, the great truth is that God has always been close to you. And if that's you this morning, I'm just going to give you a few seconds. If you'll just come to the front here, I want to pray for you. I want to allow some of our family here to pray for you. Just come right now if that's you. I know God's doing a work in this place. Some of you have feel like Peter. There are days when you've got it right and there are days when you've got it wrong and you've struggled to feel accepted. You've struggled to feel wanted. And you feel the Lord speaking to you this morning and you're asking Him, Lord, do you want me? Am I someone you need, God? And God says, I want all of you. I need all of you. I want all of your heart. I want all of your mind. I want all of your soul. He says, I want to overtake you. I want to be in every part of your life. Even those secret places where you think no one sees, I want to be there. I want you to invite me in. I want you you to open yourself up. I want to fill you up, saith the Lord. What I'm going to pray for you this morning is that God would begin to fill you with his own conviction. I don't, I don't believe, there's no special prayer that makes someone uh, feel a certain way or what's tangible or not. What I do know is this, is that God doesn't need words, and he doesn't need me to stand before you and lay hands on you or anything like that. God can comfort you right through where you're at through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just every one of these that are up here, God, would you just begin to pour out your spirit of love, of grace, of forgiveness upon them, God? Lord, I feel the weight of their hearts this morning, God, as they come to seek you out, Father. Lord, we meet in an unusual place, God, but God, you are an unusual God. Lord, who forgives like you? who grants us over and over and over forgiveness after forgiveness, God, who plants grace upon our feet that we may walk in it, O God, who accepts us just like we are, God. Lord, you wreck us. You wreck us, God. And may we forever stay that way, God. May we stay under the umbrella of your arms, God, of your hands. May we stay in the power of your strength, of your grip, God. Lord, you said that you would lose none, God. Hold on to us, God. Let us feel your embrace this morning, God. I want to pray for Minerva and Jean this morning. Will somebody reach over there and just lay a hand on them this morning? I know they're getting ready to do some traveling, I believe, and I want to pray for them. Can we just bear their burdens up, too? Can we begin to pray for them? Lord, right now, I know that there's a heaviness upon them, God, that's been on there a long time, and God, you have given them supernatural strength, Lord, that has guided them uh, for years now, God, and it's been evident upon their life, God. Uh, Lord, everybody sees it, God. Lord, we see your faithfulness upon their life. We see your hands upon them. We see your mark, God. Lord, the mark that says that they have a new name, that they have a new, uh, uh, Lord, a foundation in you, God. And, And Father, we know that they're asking for big things now, God, as they get ready to travel. And Lord, we need favor in that area, Lord. We need favor, God. You're the great physician, God. And you're also Jehovah Jireh. You're our provider. And we need provision, Lord. And we don't come together, God, as just one or two people, God. Father, we are your bride. This is your wife, God, calling out to you in need of something, Lord. Father, we need favor. Lord, we unite together in one spirit, in one heart, in one mind for this cause, God. Be the great physician, O Lord. We look to you, our husband. We worship you, God. And we thank you. And, Lord, we believe in you, God. We believe in you and all your works, O oh Lord. Give them strength now and courage. Lift them up. A new zeal, O oh God, for you. Let them know. Let them feel the weight and the support, God, of your, of your people, Lord. We love you, Jesus, this morning, God. In Jesus' name. Everyone says Amen. Grab some Easter cards, will you? Invite somebody to church in the next couple of weeks. Guys, I love you. You're a wonderful, wonderful family. And that's what you are. You're my family, and I I just love you. Have a wonderful day. You are dismissed.